Recovery Sort Of is a podcast where we discuss recovery and addiction topics from the perspective of people living in long-term recovery. This podcast does not intend to represent the views of any particular group, organization, or fellowship. The views expressed here are solely the opinion of its contributors. Be advised there may be strong language or topics of an adult nature. Recovery, sort of. I'm Jason. I'm a guy in long-term recovery. Uh, my name is Billy. I'm also a person in long-term recovery. And today we finally get to hear the incredible, magical insight into step seven from you know not God removing uh, these defects of character, which I'm dying to hear, right? Because I, I really am. Uh, I was thinking about this the other day, and I thought it's almost more magical to me to think of this in a different way. Like people would say like, God sounds like magic and crazy, you know, flying spaghetti monster sounds ludicrous. And I was like, I actually think it sounds more flying spaghetti monster ish to not have God remove these. And I don't know. I was really, I'm just, it's so interesting. So we will get to that. Uh, that is the main purpose of today. Step seven. Definitely excited about that. Just to cover some things before that. Uh, we had a little bit of feedback about dating. It was interesting. I, I posed the question. I feel like I'm leaning too close into the mic here. I'm trying to chill. Uh, I get a little excited. I posed the question all over the place. Um, is it easier or better or are there more benefits to having a relationship with someone also in your program or outside of recovery altogether? Uh, and, and I guess that leaves room for a third option of in recovery, but in a different program, which is maybe that's the best of both worlds. I don't know. <laughs> we don't know that one. Um, but there was very little response. And, and so the only hypothesis I have about that is that everybody has a partner in recovery and they didn't want them to see their response, <laughs> but they thought it was better to have them outside of recovery. So I, I don't know. Do you have any idea why that could be? Well, I mean, immediately when I mentioned to my wife, we were doing this podcast about relationships she's like oh my gosh i can't listen to it you know what i mean it's going to start a fight and then you had said you know it brought up some stuff with your wife you know some issues and i think i mean just me personally i think that could be part of it you know what i mean it's like yeah. people just don't want to put their shit out there because it you know even to be honest and say like yeah it's really difficult in whatever situation you're in is just opening up the potential for it, it is. <laughs> and, and for the benefit of the doubt, just to let y'all know, since she doesn't always have a voice on here, my wife did completely disagree with my assessment <laughs> and said that even as a person outside of recovery, she has attempted to help me stay focused on recovery and, and be my eyes and ears and call me out on shit, which I was telling Billy was yeah. a benefit to having, you know, someone in recovery. And she said she tried that and I told her I didn't want to hear that bullshit. So <laughs> yeah. there it but is. But you still tell them that when they're in recovery too. It doesn't right, matter. Right. I'm like, yeah, but I don't know. Shut up. I know what I need to do. <laughs> I don't need to hear it from you. <laughs> exactly. So it was, 
you know, it, it's all a matter of uh, where we're looking at it from. But yeah, that's what I figured. People people don't want to put their stuff out there with their partner having the ability to see that. Um, we did get a couple of responses. Our, our buddy Kirsten, she said, dating an Earth person can be exhausting uh, if they don't if you struggle to feel or question whether they completely understand what you go through. And I do think that is one thing that's a little different, right? If, if I had to say what's the greatest downfall or risk of dating someone in recovery, it would be, well, they can fucking relapse and ruin my life, right? And if I had to say what's the greatest downfall of dating someone outside of recovery, it's that a lot of them truly can't grasp what it's like to not be able to fucking stop and to want to do something hourly that destroys your life. Like I just, while I think there's a lot of similarities between us and non-addicts, right? In a lot of ways. And I'm going to get to one of them in a second too. Right. But that's one of them. That's just, it's really, it's a hard concept to grasp if you haven't had that calling inside of you to just wreck your fucking life. Yeah. And I mean, I would go through this conversation with my parents when I was a, you know, in my early twenties and getting in trouble with drugs and stuff. And, and they would say like, why don't you just stop? And there were two significant things to that. One, I didn't know why I couldn't, you know what (laughs) I mean? I didn't have a good answer for like, Oh, I don't know. I just want to get high. Like it just, I just love it. And then I would try to say this to my mom all the time. Like she smoked cigarettes and I would say, it's just like cigarettes. Like, why don't you stop? You know, it's not healthy. Mm -hmm. You know, it's not good for you. You know, it's killing you, but yet you do it anyway. And she would just be like, well, that's different, you know? And, and it was so easy to dismiss that. People do not want to hear that shit when you put it back on them. And especially if they feel their life's a little more manageable, right? Like maybe they can get up and go to work every day and you try to call them out and say, it's exactly like your shopping habit as you're going in debt, or it's exactly like the way you eat as you're, you know, becoming obese. And they're like, oh, fuck you, right? Like, (laughs) I don't need to hear your bullshit. I go to work every day, you lazy bum. And it's like, ah, maybe you don't want to see it, but it is very much like that. I think to some level, everyone has some sort of compulsion or self-obsessive type behaviors or things that they get into. And for some people, they just, you know, they don't, one, let it get to the point where it's such an extreme, it's causing chaos in their life. You know, for some people, it's healthy eating or the gym or they get really into that and they become kind of obsessive, almost regimented, you know, in that stuff. And it's healthy and it's good and it works out fine. I think for addicts, though, the difference is we are repeatedly engaging in behavior that is killing us. Like we we can almost see that it's killing us and wrecking our lives, but we can't stop. You know? hmm. Yeah. So uh, Kirsten went on to say, you know, it's probably pros and cons to both, which is obviously the the ultimate answer that I think either of us would ever come up with. Um, you know, another guy, Jay, had a, said that he said there's no perfect, but it might make it easier to have somebody inside recovery just so they could understand. And so that turned into a little conversation. Um, Caroline had some input that she's only had serious relationships with others in recovery, and she just can't imagine because recovery is such a huge portion of her life having someone that wasn't also into that at the same time. And and that's where I think it gets tricky when we talk about either someone in our program or someone who's, you know, living a different method of recovery that, you know, recovery looks so different for so many of us. And I don't think we acknowledge how similar that is. Like even someone who just has some, 
I don't want to say just has some because that's terrible minimization, right? Someone who's gone through some childhood trauma but maybe never got into drugs but sought out therapy for healthier relationships later in life. Like, they are also in a recovery-type life, right? They're probably focused on self-growth and, and, you know, some spirituality. And so I think they could be also very in tune with a recovery-type lifestyle, even if they're not in our program. And so it just gets interesting when we when we look at those kind of things and the differences. Um, but, yeah, that, there was not a whole lot of people who wanted to speak up about their <laughs> dating or marriage preferences. Uh, and maybe that, maybe, you know, them not speaking up was wise and kept their marriages intact for another week. Yeah, well, and, and after my wife said that to me, I went back and listened to the whole episode to make sure I didn't say anything that I regretted. And there was one or two little things in there I was like, meh. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm like, no, nah, you can listen, it's fine, I, you know. Right. Uh, so we also, oh, I wanted to point out, so Voices of Hope has their online virtual rubber ducky race, which I, this just like, I don't know. I think my wife actually brought this to my attention. I just think it's hilarious that <laughs> they're going to have like a rubber ducky race online uh, and you buy a duck, I guess. Is that how it works? Yeah. You buy a duck and you float it down the thing and you win a prize it you know whoever crosses first to get numbers you know they have numbers on them that's fucking cool i'm definitely buying a duck just for the hell of it because i got nothing better to do and the money goes to a good cause uh to help you know the still suffering people out there who are struggling to find a new way to live in some way shape or form and i should know more about what the prizes are and stuff but i don't at this point i think it's coming up in uh, next next no i think it's september so yeah i was gonna say it's like two months away i knew it was a while away yet so it is it's just it seems so funny to me and hilarious that i (laughs) i couldn't help i posted it on our facebook page so if you need to find it you can find it through our facebook page or through voices of hope if you're interested it's not till september you have some time i just I don't know why. I, I'm sure it's been done before. It just seemed oh yeah, they've done it before. Unique and hilarious to me. Yeah. So and I mean, it's like so. Sometimes it's kind of fun to like laugh and fun, you know, have fun with recovery and recovery related things. I know in our area at one point a few years back they talked about doing like a dope fiend Olympics mm-hmm. where they were going to have you know different like mm-hmm. bad idea events that you know were sort of stigmatizing but not would be fun like throw a bunch of white crumbs on the floor and see who could pick up the most crumbs in 30 seconds and things like that you know just and it got voted down i guess some people got upset about it but sometimes it's fun to just do silly things and and laugh at yourself and not take things quite so serious well and it's it's so tricky like they've done that dope fiend olympics in some places and and the idea and the concept is hilarious and it's the same struggle I have with, with uh, you know, all the memes I make up to put on our page and, and on our Instagram and stuff. It's like, generally, the more offensive they are, the funnier they get, right? <laughs> yeah. And that's that fine line I try to walk between I don't want to do harm to people and at the same time, I do need to laugh at myself and, and you know, the situations I find myself in. Funny enough, it comes up in the seven-step reading. Yeah. Uh, and so that will definitely be part of what we talk about today. Uh, one last thing I did want to mention before we get into that. Um, I had a message from a friend of ours, uh, Amanda, today, who still shocks me. One of a few people that listen that is not uh, particularly themselves, you know, an addict. And, and I'm just always, I'm like, normal people <laughs> yeah, listen to right. For fucking what? We're crazy, right? <laughs> and I don't know. It's always so nice that, because I even asked, I'm like, why do you listen, right? And, and she kind of explained that a lot of our struggles are her struggles, too. 
Hmm. And I guess that's, it's so nice to feel normalized that like maybe the things we struggle with on a daily basis, maybe we're really not as different as everybody else as we like to think we are, right? Uh, terminally unique, it talks about in the seventh step mm-hmm. reading. Um, but it's just nice to feel like, damn, maybe, maybe everybody struggles with this shit. Maybe, yeah, for us, it's a little different. Like we could go, you know, shoot some heroin and die, unfortunately. <laughs> but in general, like we struggle with the same things everybody else does. And, uh, I don't know. That felt kind of nice. But the other part of what she messaged about was she was just listening to the cliches episode and she was kind of highly offended by the, the let go and let God being uh, a little belittled by you. (laughs) (laughs) I've got a good take for it. I'm willing to listen. I don't, I haven't. Uh, So, and this is what I've found with almost every cliche that people don't like or that somebody wants to defend. It's the cliche itself is not actually the problem. It's more so that it's been used in a way that doesn't, it makes the person who's heard it or been on the receiving end of it feel like it's not very useful for them or they felt like they've been dismissed and not heard. That's what it seems like with a lot of these cliches. Like the cliche itself is fine, but if you tell somebody to it in the moment of their distress, sounds kind of shitty when you say it to them. Um... So her her deal, and I was like, oh, maybe she's a believer that like is really offended by that. And no, she's not. She doesn't. She doesn't believe in God either. I was like, oh, well, that doesn't. <laughs> so apparently, her her story was that she had some anxiety, and just saying "let go" and "let God" reminds her that there are a lot of things that are out of her control, and she needs to not try to control them, basically. And it lowered her anxiety um, in in saying that and that being her reminder. And so I just thought that was incredible. Like, here I am. I thought she was going to bitch about, like, being a believer and and you, you know, being, uh, I guess, a non-believer. I still don't know. An atheist? Agnostic? What are you? I don't know. I try Uh, to find out today. I'm not really sure. (laughs) (laughs) But it was like, oh, man, she went the whole other way. Sometimes I got to laugh at the irony. She went the entire other way with it and just said, no, I just use it because it's useful. And I'm like, damn. I guess that's how cliches work. They're just useful for some people, whether they truly make sense or not, I guess. Yeah. Well, I guess they could go back to the Forrest Gump, stupid is as stupid does. Like, I never understood that, what it even means. It goes over my head, I guess. Maybe I'm not smart enough to figure it out. <laughs> but it's like, huh. you know, a saying like that, like, that's kind of how I feel about the let go and let God. It's like, I don't get what that means, you know. And if someone else can take comfort in it, great. You know, that's awesome. I just don't, I don't understand what that means so i don't know that this is right uh and and you know forrest gump lovers please uh correct us if we're wrong (laughs) i thought stupid is as stupid does was the point that people call him stupid as in his you know apparently he's got some kind of brain stuff going on that's not quite up to par with what we would decide was normal for our society he's a little slower than the rest of the world so people call him and refer to him as stupid, but he's comforted by his mother saying stupid is as stupid does, meaning it doesn't really matter what people think of how smart you are in your brain. How are you living? Right. And he did all okay. these great feats like he did the next right things when he needed to and he was kind to people. And so, like, is that really stupid or is stupid people who do stupid things like you can be as smart as you want, but you're a jerk to your kids or your wife or something? That's how I always took it. I don't know. Um, So, are we ready for step seven? Sure. Okay. Step seven. Humbly asked him to remove our shortcomings. Which, oh my God. Obviously, humbly 
humility must be a huge part of this step, so I've already decided I must suck at this step. <laughs> <laughs> That's not my uh, my highest, you know, asset. Um, but I'm curious, do you have any, any takes on it just to start? What do you think about step seven? Um, so, of course, for me, you know, humility is probably the, the key uh, ingredient, spiritual principle there in this step. Um, it starts with, you know, we go through this series of these other steps up through our inventory and sharing that with other people so that we can get a chance to try to figure out who and what we really are. You know, mm-hmm. that that most of us, you know, we're, we always, or I can't say we, I would judge myself by what I thought I was supposed to be, and then I was constantly falling short of all of those, mm. so therefore I was a piece of shit, and I was no good, and I was a worthless human being, and, and, you know, I didn't deserve anything, and all those negative things we tell ourselves, because I didn't have the ability to look at myself honestly. You know, I couldn't see, like, yes, I have assets and I have liabilities. And, you know, I can choose to work on my liabilities and try to get better at them. Or, and I can choose to, you know, own my assets and try to, you know, use them more productively in my life, things like that. Um, I wasn't doing that when I was using. I had some, what I thought I was supposed to be in my head compared to what I, the way I was really living. And those two things didn't line up. And so where do you, where do you think that comes from? Like I heard you say that, uh, we tried to measure up to this image we had of what we were supposed to be. Where do you, where does that image come from in in your mind? Like, where does it get twisted that it's not just, Hey, we're just supposed to be human where we make mistakes and falter and learn from it. And like, who gives us this twisted image that we're trying to live up to that we can't? Um, I, I mean, I can't say for sure i know in my case i can tell you some things about my background that i think shape that but i don't know if they'll answer that question exactly so um my parents were loving kind people they were you know good people overall but my mom was pretty critical and pretty harsh uh judgmental wise she also wasn't very uh outwardly like loving with with like hugs and praise and and affection, you know, those were things that were very much missing in my house. And then my dad, when we were young, worked a lot, you know, worked a lot of hours, wasn't home a ton, and wasn't overly affectionate himself. And that's probably why him and my mom got along so well, because neither of them were overly affectionate with mm-hmm. each other or with us. Um, that on top of I was, you know, sexually abused as a kid at a young age, and then also the fact that we went to like a Catholic school and were raised, you know, in the Catholic uh, tradition. Like there were a lot of things about myself that I felt like I was just a bad person, you know, that I was never good enough that, you know, unless I was perfect at everything all the time, you know, there was something wrong with me. It's interesting because I think. You know, I would say, oh, yeah, well, you know, my experience must be everybody's. We must all have had this critical parent uh, in our household that, you know, gave us this flawed schema or or core belief system. And yet I know there's people who didn't have any real parent to speak of in their in their household. So they couldn't have been a critical one. And I'm just curious if it's all these factors put together, which I'm sure it's some portion of that, you know, uh, biology would say, oh, it's it's DNA. Some of that's just in your core genetics that 
you're going to have these type of belief systems about yourself. And then there's, you know, the parental input, there's the peer input, society's input, uh, Hollywood's input. And as a whole, this all leads us to what, you know, the mental health field would say your core belief or your schema is that there's something wrong with me. And so all the information you take in comes through that lens. It's kind of like if you've ever looked through a filtered lens, like if you've looked at a page and you have on blue sunglasses that have blue lenses and you can't see any of the blue, right? And so it's almost like we put lenses on like that in our lives where, you know, we, we put on these lenses where we can't see any of the positives we do. And so all we take in because of this core belief system, all we take in is things that line up with, I'm not good enough. And I would tweak that just a second because we had an interesting when you talk about putting on lenses and colors mm-hmm. we had an interesting experience last night and uh i think it ties into what you're talking about okay. here so we have some camping chairs and they're these blue like you know royal blue camping chairs and we were at a friend's house and they have one of those yellow bug lights you know outside and then as it got dark you know and they just the yellow light was coming down all of a sudden these chairs looked green like Mm. completely green so it's and you could take your you know your white light from your phone and shine it on there and see that it was blue but it was just a really neat sort of hey look at this kind of sciencey thing when you take this color out you see it this way and it's almost i think like that like we see ourselves through these lenses to where it's not that we don't necessarily see assets, but we start to look at them differently, you know, like, and I say that because for me, like, growing up through addiction, maybe as a survival mechanism or whatever, like, I started to think, like, caring about other people or or putting other people's needs, you know, not just doing what you wanted, like, these were like weaknesses, they weren't assets, they were weaknesses. And Mm. I saw them and I I recognized these principles that other people lived by and thought, oh, those, you know, people that are just living their life serving others and and not putting their needs first, like they're suckers, you know, they're, they're not doing what they need to do for themselves. And they're letting other people walk on them. Like this thing that would be an asset all of a sudden became a liability to me. It's interesting. Uh, the, the chair, I like that idea though, the yellow light and the blue chair and it really brings us to just how I went through life thinking there was this set of rules, facts, truths that existed, and nothing could change that. And to learn that a lot of things in the world are really just perception. And perception can be changed depending on, you know, like we talk about the lens you're using to look at it is mind-blowing. To think about, you know, uh, what color is the sky, Billy? I would say blue. Right. And yet, if you said orange, at sunset, you're right. Yeah. Right? Like, uh, But I, right. if you told me the sky was orange, I'd be like, you're fucking crazy. Right. What's wrong with this guy? The sky's gray. orange. Yeah. Right. And so those type of things, uh, you know, when, when you had the realization that the sun doesn't actually come and go. Like, the sun's always there. It's the clouds that come and go. Right? Mm. It just doesn't seem to line up with what we really think about. Um, mm. And so maybe we'll do a whole episode on perception at some time. I don't want to get us too lost in the woods right now about step seven. But yeah, I I think that's incredible. Um, I would say step seven for me was like the culmination of, I'm trying to figure out how to do this for somebody not in a 12 step program, right? Somebody who's not working the steps. Like, so four, we, we write down 
basically our life history, mm -hmm. right? We kind of like do a written version of our life history so we can look at it from a third person point of view. Uh, it's kind of like the principle of, you know, if my friend comes to me with a relationship problem, it's really easy for me to see what the fuck he's got to do in his relationship. Cause I don't have feelings about his relationship. I can just tell him what makes sense. And he's really confused and it doesn't make sense to him. And yet for me, when I'm in a relationship, it's the exact same way. I can't see clearly what it is I need to do. So when I write for, and I put my life story on paper, it's a little clearer to me to look at it from a different perspective. Five, I get to share that with an even further removed from feeling perspective uh, and, you know, with God and with myself out loud and get some more insight into it. Six, I, I start to look at the places in my life that really don't, I act in ways to try to get what I want that aren't necessarily ways that benefit me long term, right? I sit on the couch and watch whatever instead of going and doing the dishes because it feels better to sit on the fucking couch and eat some donuts than to go do the dishes in the moment. But what I start to learn in six is that at the end of the night, I feel like shit for not getting the dishes done. Whereas if I go do the dishes, I feel better later, right? So six is to me like kind of recognizing the ways that I chase instant gratification over the long-term, you know, better feeling about myself. And then seven would be, I don't know how to describe this for somebody who's not in recovery and also not a believer in a bigger power. Like, I think through the literature that I was reading, it kind of made me think maybe I just involve other people in like, hey, Billy, uh, you're a good buddy of mine and I trust you and I want to change my habits. Can you help me change my habits by helping me to, you know, point me out, point them out in me when you see them? Maybe? Like, is that... Yeah, so, all right, I'll, I'll use a little bit different analogy. So your description there was really good of the going through the step process. I would use the analogy of, you know, let's take furniture. Like, let's say I have some furniture in my apartment. It's old, kind of crappy furniture. And before I found recovery, what I like to do is move that furniture around into different positions and mm. think that it looked different. And now all of a sudden, well, this is a better arrangement. This furniture looks looks better now. Um, but then when I sit on it, you know, there's still a spring poking me in the ass and it's still all out of whack and you fucking fall through the, you know, the recliner doesn't work anymore, whatever. Mm. And all I can do on my own is keep moving that furniture around. You know, what I really need is to go out and get new furniture, you know, and I need, and this is where the higher power or, or, you know, power greater than me comes in. It's like, I can't make new furniture on my own in my apartment. I got to go outside of myself. I got to look to things outside of me to find the tools and resources and, and things I need to bring back with new furniture, you know? So hmm. six is recognizing that my furniture sucks and that it's shit. And that as long as I keep moving that furniture around, it's still the same crappy furniture. It might look different on that wall, still the same crappy couch. And seven is going, I need to go outside of myself. I need to get out of this apartment and go outside of myself to get the tools and resources that I need to fix my room. Maybe somebody to help me build new furniture, maybe a furniture store that has access to more furniture, maybe a friend to help me carry furniture in. And that's like where that. the uniqueness of 
someone's individual recovery path and their sponsorship, you know, right. your crappy furniture is going to be different than my crappy furniture. You know, mm. my crappy furniture has different, you know, things with it. Maybe mine can be fixed. Maybe I need new. Maybe it needs to be thrown out. And same with yours. And maybe you can build your own furniture. Maybe you go to a church to get your furniture, you know, all these different things. But that's where our individual recovery path comes in is how and where we get our new furniture. I love that analogy. And since we like to change the wording of every step to make it better, <laughs> step seven will now be we humbly asked him to replace our furniture. <laughs> That's yeah. the fucking way we're going. Uh, so funny enough, so we just okay. heard a story yesterday. So we were at a cookout with some people in recovery, and we had a guy uh, sharing about, I think he, and I might mess this up a little bit, but he had said he had celebrated, I think, seven years twice. And what he realized the first time around, and... Uh, as he read through the basic text the first time, he would say to himself things like, oh, there should be a comma here. And, oh, they could have said this better if they did that. And, Oof. oh, we should have done this. You know, could have, this could have been different if it was said like this. And then he relapsed. <laughs> and when he came back the second time, he realized to try to identify, you know, the concepts and the principles. So it was interesting. That's really interesting because I actually have a very similar story. Yeah. Uh, I had gotten almost 18 months at one point, and I picked out every misspelled word in our fucking literature. And there was a version of the the traditions, the readable tradition uh, laminated sheet that we read before. it, And it was, like, very widely circulated. Instead of saying, are stronger than those, it said stronger that those. Like somebody had misspelled then mm. and put the T at the end by accident. Autocorrect, who the fuck knows? Mm. But I used to pick that shit apart. And mm. then, sure enough. And somebody even pointed it out to me, but I couldn't change it. Yeah. It's like, that's just who I was at that time. Well, see, and, and that's where humility comes in. Like, humility comes in where we learn, like, hey, that's a part of who I am. That's not something I like about myself. Mm. It's okay. I don't have to hate myself or, you know, degrade myself or belittle myself because that doesn't help anything. Right. But I need to recognize that about myself. Like, that's a part of who I am. And if I'm not careful, that shit will get me into trouble, you know. And that's the difference between, like, uh, being overly critical or overly judgmental of ourselves and having what I would call, like, honest humility. Um, I was joking with Jason before this. I said uh, with you before this that – uh. Like, I actually did a little research on this one beforehand. I was reading through the basic text, and there was something that – because humility is such a huge part of my recovery for me because I was such an egomaniac and, and still am, and, and it's still a thing I got to really keep an eye on that, you know, I think I'm smart, and I think I got shit figured out, and I can think my way out of all kinds of problems. That must be um, awful to deal with. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, I have to really be on top of that. And so in the basic text – um it talks about, you know, humility as being the, uh, you know, the core of this step. And it says, to be hum to be truly humble is to, whoa, that just jumped, yeah, there we go. To be truly humble is to accept and honestly try to be ourselves. None of us is perfectly good or perfectly bad. We are people who have assets and liabilities. Most important, we are human. You know, and and that's important for me because I can say, yeah, I tend to be an egomaniac. I tend to be someone who thinks really highly of myself and less of others. And I don't have to hate myself for it. I don't have to think, gosh, if I didn't have – I mean if I spend all my time thinking about what I could be doing, what I should be doing, how I should be acting, how bad I am because I don't do this or that thing, I'm not really fixing the problem. 
you know? Right. We're not going to beat ourselves into being better people. And, right. and one thing that you stuck out clearly, like, and, and because I said I, I couldn't change that as who I was at that point in time in my life. Like, I was just a guy who, that's what I saw, flaws. That was my old furniture. That's what I was given when I was growing up. You're going to see flaws in everything and nothing positive about anything. It's what it is. I, I will say this. When you see somebody who's constantly picking out the flaws in everything in the world and people around them, know this for sure. That's how they treat themselves yeah. all fucking day long, right? And so I just didn't have another perspective. I didn't have the ability to get my furniture out. And I hadn't made it that far in the steps yet. I only got to, I want to say, five um, at that point in time. And so... I wasn't there yet. I didn't have new furniture. I hadn't <laughs> I hadn't gotten a new recliner, right, to lay back in and say, well, you know, they misspelled a word, no big deal. Um, but you're right, yeah, recognizing that it is part of us. And ultimately, what I always forget about, uh, I want the steps to fix me and get rid of these problems. Hmm. And I always think that these are problems, and I forget that it <laughs> tells us right in there, character defects are basic character traits of humans that we have blown out of proportion. I don't really necessarily, it's not healthy if I get rid of it. I just need to put it back in proportion. And I forget that a lot. Yeah, and I think that's why it talks about being human. Like, no person is all good and or all bad. You know, we all have these different traits that work together, and we're all going to make mistakes. And, you know, the difference is, you know, making an honest mistake versus an intentional mistake, you know, or 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 say that repeated mistake maybe yeah or staying stuck in things that you know aren't good or you know aren't healthy or going to harm others and then doing it anyway out of selfishness right it was kind of which is what i did when i was using you know i knew stealing wasn't right i knew taking advantage of my family wasn't right but i did it anyway so let's uh before we get into more of these quotes since we've got a basic running description here of, of step seven let's take a break here and play our voices ad and we'll be right back this episode has been brought to you by Voices of Hope, Inc., a nonprofit grassroots recovery community organization located in Maryland. Voices of Hope is made up of people in recovery, family members, and allies. Together, members strive to protect the dignity and respect of those that use drugs and those in recovery by advocating for treatment, support resources, and mentoring. Please visit us at www.voicesofhopececilmd.org and consider donating to our cause. Okay, so here we are back. I did want to make mention we're uh, we're in a new location today, which, how does that feel for you? Is it different? Is it weird? Uh, I don't know. I like it. It feels comfortable. I, I was thinking the same thing. Like, it, for a new location, it definitely feels cozy. Yeah, so I'm good with it. I like yeah, it. I'm, I'm down with it, too. So back to, to step seven, uh, you were mentioning in the piece you read, uh, one of the things that stuck out to me is that, and I've heard this quote before, this isn't the quote you actually read, but it's another way to say the same thing. And it says, figure out who you are and try to do it on purpose. Yeah. And I've always loved that, right? Because especially when I got here, my concept of who I was, was terrible. And like the last thing I wanted to do was to try to be me. I was spent my whole life trying to be some other shit that was better than me. Right. And so the concept of, damn, really, I'm really supposed to try to be me on purpose. Like that's mm -hmm. the best thing I can do in my life. Mm -hmm. And it is. And, and it's just mind blowing. I don't know. I, I love that concept. Yeah. And see, I, I think 
people get confused about the concept of humility. Like they think it implies some sort of humiliation or some mm. sort of less than feeling or or you know, there's all this like negative subservience yeah, or something. that comes with this idea of humility. And for me it's been the opposite. Like it's been almost empowering. It's like this idea that, you know, we're all just human beings here on this earth. We all have assets and liabilities and i have some things that i'm you know really good at and you might have some things you're really good at and the next person has things they're really good at and then i have things i struggle with and everybody has things they struggle with and you know it really is uh almost empowering you know it's a way for me to not feel so bad about who i am that i'm not just you know the ideal me isn't necessarily just all my best qualities, you know, that I am also the the mm. character defects of, in my nature, too. It's, humility is very much a, a perspective changer, yes. right? And that's what we talk about, a perspective. And, and you're right. We do look at it as all these other things besides a change in perspective. But it's interesting. I'm reading this book, uh, The Untethered Soul. I always say reading, listening, whatever. <laughs> Great fucking book, by the way. If you get a chance and you need an audio book or a book to read, incredible book, right, at this moment. Um, but one of the things it talks about is uh, the practice of, they don't call it humility, uh, but they say the practice of, like, every time you go to get in your car to drive somewhere, stop for a second and remind yourself that you're on a rock flying through space, <laughs> right? Just to get some perspective yeah, right. on, like, what's really important here. And then it says, and if that's not enough, do it every time you pull out your phone. Right before you look at your phone, remember to think, I'm on a rock, flying through space. And, like, that's a that's a humbling thought. Like, yeah, you're right. Like, what is so important here? Is it is is me getting this little, you know, dinner right and not burning my chicken nuggets fucking that critical to my life today? Or does it right. matter that much? Yeah. Um. So what what's the next quote you had that you really liked? Uh, just the last thing about humility that I had was uh, humility is as much a part of staying clean as food and water are to staying alive. That was so, the next one on my yeah, list too. That's I an mean, incredible quote. Yeah, and it it's sort of I mean it sounds real prophetic and all that stuff, but it's it really like say for an egomaniac like myself is so important to be like man I got to keep myself grounded. You know I can't let myself get and I've done it at times, get too good for, you know, recovery, get too good for my job, too good mm. for my life. You know, it's that's what will happen to me. You know, I, I get myself into some place where I don't fit in here. I don't belong here. I, I'm better than all these people, you know. That's the shit that I say quietly to myself mm -hmm. in my head. And if I don't remember, like... Yeah, you're a dummy who was, you know, ended up in jail with your best thinking. You know, I need to kind of get some humility back in there or I will, you know, ego my way right into fucking disaster. Right. Yes, Jason, before you sought help, you slept on a park bench and ended up in prison. It is only through seeking help from other people that you've gotten where you've gotten. So right. how fucking great are you at this moment? <laughs> right. No, it's a, it's a great reminder. But here's the moment of truth, right? Okay. So we realize we're not that humble. We say, okay, I'm not always that humble. I need to remain more humble, right? My character defect is a overblown ego or, or thinking too greatly of myself or a self-righteousness, right? And now I need to keep myself in check and remain humble. Step tells me I can't, right? We humbly asked him. That's kind of the point of six, What I, at least for me. What I had always heard was six, I run into trying to fix character defects myself, 
and butting my head against the wall, realizing I don't have that kind of power to just change myself overnight. Or So what do we do if we are not believers in a power greater than ourself? Uh, or No, that's not true. I'm sorry. I misstated that. You are a believer in a power greater than yourself, but not believers in a particular God. Uh, so how do we humbly ask him to remove these shortcomings? How do you do that? Because yeah. people need to hear this. Right. And so, you know, the next paragraph of the actually in the basic text starts out, the seventh step is an action step. It is time to ask God for help and relief. And if we took this God and changed it to good orderly direction with a lowercase g and not some magical power outside of ourselves, in that paragraph it goes on to tell you what the actions that are required. And it's being humble enough to listen to people when they give you criticism, being willing to acknowledge like harms and wrongs that you do in your life. Um, most of the time, with, and this is where the humility comes in, like without that humility, I run around thinking, well, I just do what I want and I don't care. And if it hurts you, oh, well, you know, it's your problem. You get over your own fucking feelings. Call I don't your care. sponsor. Right. <laughs> or I don't care if you don't like that about me, you know, but I find some humility and then I begin to realize like, oh, shit, I'm running around causing harm in other people's life. My significant other's telling me you're doing this and it's hurting my feelings. My kids are, you know, crying or upset or, or whatever because of actions and things that I've done. And I learned to sort of recognize, oh, shit, you know what I mean? Like, I am responsible for these things that I'm doing to other people. Um, then where I guess the solution comes in is, again, other for me, it's recovery. But if you have a power outside of myself is where the furniture analogy comes in. It's like, okay, so I don't of my own power know how to change those things. Where do I go and get the resources that I need to change those things? For mm. me, in this case, it's recovery. I go to meetings. I listen to other people that are living a spiritual life. I might seek it out through books or, or readings about how to be more compassionate, be more caring, be more loving. But left to my own devices, I will not change. I, will, I have to go outside of myself to seek solutions to those problems. Okay, so it's not so much that we can't apply the suggestions of somebody who maybe has some growth in that area, things they've done to, to try to be less self-righteous, right? We can apply those suggestions. It's not like that's out of our ability. It's just, for whatever reason, we can't seem to come to those suggestions all by ourselves. We need to seek it out through others, through self-help books, maybe even through uh, mental health counseling if it needs it, like to deal with some of our childhood traumas, which can help us act in different ways. Because I one of the things I did realize in seven was that uh, in humbly asking him, it, her, whatever, to remove my shortcomings, what I was doing was the old uh, Kleenex box shuffle, right? I guess facial tissue. I don't want to advertise for Kleenex, but whatever. It's pretty standard now. So you pull out a character defect, like it gets removed, and then the next one pops up in its place, just like the Kleenex does when you pull it out. Um and so ultimately for me, I, I honestly stopped praying for that particularly. Not that I don't revert back to that when I'm in a particularly nasty defect. Um, but I just try to pray for a greater love of myself because I found that was the true reason I acted on all these things was because I just didn't have enough self-love to be okay. And so I used all these defects blown out of proportion to try to protect you know, that fragile uh, feeling I had that, like, one of these things was going to expose me for the piece of shit I was. 
And so through self-love, I've had less reason to act on defects. Um, and so I, I, I don't know, that's it. like maybe through uh, mental health, you know, that's a, a, an aspect we can explore that. We can deal with some of that underlying issues and then we don't have to act as much. And that could be a power greater than us. That's not so I can't go and do therapy on myself, right? Like that's impossible. I need right. other people to help with that. And I guess I, I struggle with your question in the opposite direction of like, okay, so if you are a, you know, religious person or you have a God perspective, do you think that means you just pray a lot and then do nothing about it? Like, is that how that works? I mean, it says we humbly ask him to remove our shortcomings. Does that mean I just pray and then sit back and wait for something to change on its own? You know, this kind of reminds me uh, of uh, an episode I did. Episode 50 on my own podcast, by the way. <laughs> Exciting. I got to 50. I don't know what the fuck I'm talking about. But uh, it was kind of about it doesn't matter necessarily what I'm doing. The outcome doesn't depend on that, right? Like sometimes I'm putting in all the work. I'm doing all the prayers. I'm hitting meetings. I'm talking to sponsors. I'm working my step. Uh, I'm talking to my sponsees and helping them. I'm doing all the right spiritual practices, right? And sometimes I'm still just in a bad or a rough place uh, and, and in a shitty mood. And then sometimes I'm like living it up, like going to strip clubs, fucking ignoring any spiritual suggestion and life feels great, right? So I would say it would it doesn't even like my, it's not that I don't do anything in particular. Like, yeah, obviously I keep living. I keep personally trying to like stop acting on these defects, which doesn't seem to work. Um, but I, I do become obviously more greatly aware of them and more greatly aware of the, the pain and wreckage they leave in my life and the lives of those I care about. Right. So those things are happening. That's the action that's going on. I'm trying to take care of this character defect. I'm not having much success. I finally surrender to the fact that I just am not in control of it. Right. Kind of like the drugs. I, it's beating me up. Now I got to surrender to it. And so the surrender is kind of like what, what the ultimate action of my process comes to. But where I include the higher power in this for me is that it's not up to me when this defect goes. I can do all the right actions and you know what? I can still have this defect for the next five fucking years. Like it's really not my call when it gets removed. And that's where I... <coughs> say that's the higher powers thing like i'm gonna have it until i'm supposed to be fucking done with it and then when that time comes maybe even through no further effort of my own i could just be doing the same things i've done for the last three years and then one day it's just not there anymore yeah and i hear all that like your initial description in a in a different way so i hear that and i think yeah, that's actually an indicator of why we need powers greater than ourselves in our lives or outside of ourselves in our lives because we aren't good at an honest fucking assessment of who we are and how we're living. If I'm doing all these good spiritual things in my life and I still feel like shit, then I am out of touch with my spirit. If I believe mm. that these are my values, this is the person I want to be, this is what makes me the best person I could possibly be in my life, and I'm doing all those things and I still feel like a piece of shit, there's a disconnect there. And then vice versa if i'm out living like a piece of shit and i feel like i'm fine and it's great and life's wonderful that's a disconnect as well like that's the disconnect that i lived in the whole time that i was using 
It could be. I mean, it definitely talks about later in, in the step, I think it's in 10, maybe it's in two. I don't know. It talks about how sometimes we can be feeling different than how we're doing. Right. And, and I think that's just a thing. Like, I don't think oh, yeah. it matters. I don't always have to be disconnected just for to wake up one day and feel bad about life. Like it just happens. And, and that is so that's similar to our defects, I would say, or, or our feelings. Like I'm not like I shouldn't feel bad that I feel bad. Like that's not the point, I guess, what I was trying to say. I, mm. I, I mean, more directly that. The powers greater than me, my support group, my wife, my sponsor, you know, people outside of myself can help to point out to me like, hey, look, take an honest look at what you're doing here. You shouldn't, mm. you don't need to feel this way. You know, you're really a love. I mean, sometimes, you know, just my wife saying, you know, you're a really good husband and father and you're, you should be proud of yourself. It's like, fuck, man, that can really turn around a day. You know, that can turn around the rest of a day. Or getting, you know, whatever, praise at work or something like that. Like that positive reinforcement for like, yeah, you know what? You're doing the right things and it's tough right now, but, you know, you're a good person and you deserve good things. And, you know, that sort of positive reinforcement helps uh, helps me not give up on myself because I want to give up and be like, fuck this. This sucks. I don't want to do this anymore. Right. <laughs> and so I could see that. I For me, I think what... I get help with in the feelings aspect is not having the secondary feeling, right? That's the one that just crushes my fucking hope. Like I can feel bad. That's okay. I can feel depressed. That's okay. It's that next feeling that comes with it, that judgment of it. Like, Oh, well, it's never going to fucking be better as you know, you're doing all the right things and here you are feeling shitty anyway. Uh, fuck yeah. it. You might as well get thrown in the towel. Right. Whereas, or the, the whole, oh, you feel bad, and then the secondary feeling is, well, why do you feel bad? You should feel fine. What the fuck's wrong with you? Why do you feel bad when everything's mm-hmm. fine, right? And, and so for me, my ability to, to you know get assistance from a power greater than me with feelings is just to remember, okay, you feel bad. Let's right. get up, go to work, eat breakfast, whatever it is you're doing today, and just understand that some days you feel bad, and that's okay, and it won't be permanent. Like, let's just keep moving. And so that's where I think my help has come in with that. And I keep hitting my goddamn foot with this thing. And, it hurts. and maybe that humility of, like, other people feel bad at times, too. It's not the end of the – you know, for me, yeah. it's the end of the world. And I think that's what becomes so overwhelming, I think, for addicts sometimes is, like, when I feel bad about myself, like, I have, like, self-loathing. Like, mm. it's not like, oh, I did this and I – you know, because I, I think – you know, anyone that gets criticism is going to feel a little bad. I mean, I don't, you know, even constructive criticism is still kind of like, ooh, it's like that little, you know, punch to the gut kind of yeah. thing. Um, and that's normal. But as an addict, I tend to take it to an extreme and I either feel like a total piece of shit or I get so defensive that whatever you just said, I can dismiss offhand and be like, well, that's just bullshit and you're just an asshole. You know, and it's one of those two extremes, like to be able to hear it and go, huh, is that relevant? Like, does that really fit? Like, wow, I really do that. And that's not so good. You know, like, and that's, and that's exactly the rest of the paragraph you just started. You started with the seventh step is an action step. And it is time to ask God for help and relief. We have to understand that our way of thinking is not the only way. Are you fucking kidding me? Really? (laughs) Are you sure? Uh, so that's other people can give us direction, right? That's something I struggled with for a long time. And I think I can still struggle with if I don't pay attention on a daily basis. And then it says, when someone points out a shortcoming, our first reaction may be defensive. 
may be defensive is the fucking understatement of this book. <laughs> I'm pissed. I'm pissed Sorry. when somebody points out a defect of character. I don't want to hear that bullshit. I want to fucking tear them apart and tell them how much they suck. Right. And then it says, we must realize we are not perfect. There will always be room for growth, no matter how far we've come. And they're right. Like, if I just look at it as, hey, there's always room for growth, I can accept what they say. If we truly want to be free, we will take a good look at input from fellow addicts. So hard to remember Mm. that when people say some shit, especially when it's people we already judge and don't like. Right. There's probably some grain of truth in this, right? Maybe not. Maybe once in a while there's the offhanded, you know, attack on you that is really coming from a place of just they've lost their mind or whatever. In general, there's usually some truth to what people say about me, at least. Uh, and I don't always want to see that. And it says if we, the, the trick is to examine it, right? We get mm-hmm. the time to sit and examine it. If it doesn't apply, we can let it fly. But where it goes, if the shortcomings we discover are real and we have a chance to be rid of them, we will surely experience a sense of well-being. And I just, I had that whole paragraph. I'm like, <laughs> that's a fucking yeah. powerful paragraph. So many different aspects. Like, I... I definitely hate when people criticize me. I yeah. fucking hate it. But see, and I, I, th- I mean, for me, like that is actually the the essence of the step. Like when it talks about, you know, it says in there it's an action step, and then it goes on to outline the actions that we take, and none mm. of them are, you know, we pray and sit on our hands and wait for miracles to happen. Like they're not. But the first line throws me off because it says it's time to ask God for help and relief, and I, I always. I don't know. I, it's so interesting to me to hear the other side of it. And I love it. I think it's great that we come with both sides of it, right? I get to, to bring – I really almost wish we had a, a, a Christian-type belief person in here because I think that's so prevalent that people find that really useful too, to well, hear that side of it. And so you know, I would say my wife is Christian, and so we were talking about some of this this morning, and I asked her similar questions to what we've been talking about. And she said for a lot of her sponsees – like there is a – and I'm going to call it magical – you know, she wouldn't probably call Flying it magical. Maybe she would. But, you know, she said for a lot of sponsees, you know, some of her advice is, you know, you have this defect or shortcoming that you're struggling with is like just pray about it for 30 days and see what happens. Mm. You know, just pray about it for 30 days, every day for 30 days and see what happens. Interesting. And she, you know, she says it's, um, you know, it's miracles happen with that stuff. And whether that's God revealing to you through a meeting, going somewhere that you might hear something that you've heard a hundred times that never really seemed to fit or hear something for the first time that you've never heard before or a speaker say something that just hits, you know, your spirit in a way that's like, fuck, that's exactly where I'm at right now. Like that might be how God's working. I'm sure it would be argued that, like, you're just bringing awareness to it by praying. You're really just bringing awareness of your own mind to it. That'd be my argument, but I'm trying to take the God side here, Jason. (laughs) This this is my defending God. I love it. I love it. Uh, Did you have more quotes that you had lined up? Um, I do, if not. Yeah, you can go ahead. I probably do, but it's down here. Uh, Another little section I really liked that said, The word humble applies... Because we approach this power greater than ourselves to ask for the freedom to live without the limitations of our past ways. And and this was kind of, I don't want to say it was mind-blowing, because I, I could say that about every goddamn thing. And I, you know, ruined the statement. But I've always, especially up until this step, I look at defects of character as things that get me what I want. 
Mm. Right. These are things that bring me pleasure because I get what I want and they feel good. Right. If that's as, as, as deep as stepping outside of my relationship to have, you know, live out sexual fantasies with other women, or if that's as small as like, you know, getting over on somebody for a dollar, like they bring me pleasure in some ways, shape or form in the now. And so my way of looking at defects is that they get me what I want. And yet in here, it says we're asking for the freedom to live without limitations. And so this re- really reframes what a character defect is to me. Like I'm, I'm sitting here thinking, yeah, man, these defects, these things that get me what I want. Right. right. And they're saying these defects are limitations to our freedom. And that's just a, we talk about shifts in perspective. Like that's a completely fucking different right. way to see it. It might make me want to do something about it. Right. And I think that realization comes from the work in six, you know, in six, we're examining these defects and examining these behaviors and being like, yeah, what I'm really looking for is this, but I'm doing this behavior and it's not really getting me the results that I want. I need to take notes if I'm going to share these seven step meetings this week. I feel like I'm going to forget all this shit. This sounds really, really good. Look, I just finished up four and five. And uh, I I will say, as powerful as this six and seven process is, I'm not really looking forward to it. (laughs) It's painful. Humility is painful. Or can be painful. There's a lot of growth in it. And that's the part of the pain I'm going to try to keep remembering. There's a lot of growth. Uh, and here's another quote. This growth is not the result of wishing, but of action and prayer. And mm-hmm. I wrote that down just for you, Billy. Yeah. I thought you would love that. <laughs> not the result of wishing. And I guess, so for me, the whole higher power thing, it's never about, I just expect this power to live my life for me or make me better all by itself. It's just that I give it control of the outcomes, basically. I trust in it, in the universal energy that the outcomes will work out just the way they're supposed to, even if that's not the way I like. And and I trust in a belief that there's a grand plan that's bigger than me. That's where the comfort I find in in a universal type higher power. It's not so much in like, oh, this power is going to fucking take care of my life and I can just chill here and do nothing. It's just in allowing the outcomes to be what they are. That's where I get my comfort of a higher power. Yeah, and I think there is a lot of comfort there and i i guess you know i i don't know exactly where in my recovery journey i've drifted over towards this agnostic sort of view towards uh a higher power i think it came as a result of feeling what i felt was a lot of pressure from the program or even people inside the program maybe you know self made up i don't know but it felt like there was a lot of pressure that you got to have this higher power deity type belief that without this, you will die. And that's come from people saying, oh, you better get a God and you better get all this stuff. And so I did that for a long time. And then what I found out for myself was crises or tragedies would come up in my life and I was not able to rely on that deity made up power that I had tried to force into my life. That was not bringing me relief or comfort. And so over time, I've realized I don't care if you tell me what I need to believe. I'm going to figure it out for myself. And if I'm not really sure about, you know, God, and if you go into like Richard Dawkins, I don't know if you, he has a book, of atheist book, and I can't remember the name of it at the moment, but it outlines like these seven levels of, you know, belief in God. And they go all the way from like, 
I'm 100% sure there is a God no matter what to like I am 100% sure there is no God no matter what. Um, I'm probably at like a, you know, what I would call like maybe a five or possibly a six, whereas like I'm not really sure. Um, if I was a betting man, I'd probably bet there was no God. And we say God, like I mean like a deity, creator, controlling, uh, manipulative force that sort of runs the universe. Um, I would say I'd probably lean more towards there's not that in the world, but I'm not necessarily opposed to that. I don't know that I would be incredible. Well, I probably would be surprised if they came out and said, we figured out God. You know, we know there's a guy up here. He sent us a message and <laughs> fucking told us, like, yes, I'm God and I'm in charge and I'm going to make it rain for three days. Watch. And then he made it rain for three days or whatever. Like, if that happened, I guess I would be shocked. But there are people that believe that that's how God works. And mm. I, str- I felt like I was being forced to make that choice. So I've taken probably more of a agnostic approach lately just to try to open that door of conversation or, or thinking. I think it's hugely beneficial for a lot of people who struggle with God to, to be able to hear uh, an informed view of how to do these things without that power doing it for them. I, I do tend to think that when you when you frame it as in like you think people who believe in God are just going to they just sit at home and, and, you know, wish on a star that God's going to fix their life in recovery. And I'm like, that's completely not what I do. (laughs) It's interesting. I think it's a good for for us to have multiple perspectives. And I guess I worry because I feel like that's dangerous. Like, I don't feel like you do that. And that's great. And I like my wife, she doesn't do that at all. She's got a lot of, you know, action and stuff behind this. And and we still have some slight disagreements on some things because she is, you know, Christian in the way that she thinks some of these things work and and she does i mean she describes it as almost like a magical element to some of this that i don't know why it works it just it just does when i do these things it just happens Mm. and you know i tend to look for the more rational or logical definition almost like you talked about you know through prayer i become aware and then when something happens i'm like ah that's god you know but really it's not it would have happened whether i prayed or not it's just whether i would have been aware of it or not so you know, that's kind of a way that I'll explain the same right. things that she would explain in a different way. And that's the beauty of this is that we can both do that. We can both gain all the benefits of this work and the steps and, and all that with two very different spiritual beliefs in a God. It's incredible how many different versions of this program work. I, and that's why – so the the one guy, uh, Anonymous Addiction, I think the podcast is called. He, he's a little newer to it, but he talks – he's kind of left AA uh, and says that AA is a religion and he doesn't like it, right? And and I'm like dying to know. like I, I it, <laughs> But it, it kind of like what you just talked about, how you felt forced into a box with the God thing. Like I've never – I've never felt that. I've never, ever felt that anybody was like all I've ever heard is, you know, people defend our right to whatever God or not God that we want. I've had some internal thoughts and judgments towards people who don't have a God. I'm like, how in the fuck do you work these steps then? Um, But because there's no way they could work them the way I did. That's for sure. They had to have some other kind of way to do it. And I didn't understand. Um, But I've never felt forced into a God or, or a religion or. Well, and, and some of that's, you know, it's like the, the politically popular thing. Like if you walked into a meeting, just per se, if you walked into a meeting and started off, you know, your share or whatever by saying something like, 
I do not believe in a capital G God. I have not found a, a really good God in this program that works for me. Don't you think you would feel like... In the minority? Yes, or immediately sort of shut off by half the room. That uh, I mean, I've had people approach me when I've said things like that after the meeting and try to convince me how wrong I was. Wow. And now, yeah, it's, See, it's been awkward. This is where I need more humility because I'm like, <laughs> fuck no. <laughs> I would sound so profound after that <laughs> that they would obviously trust in my information. No, I don't. I really don't know. Mm-hmm. I've never had that experience. Uh, inter- you keep saying lower ca- or capitalized G God. I fucking hate capitalizing anything. I think the whole use of capitalization in the United States is fucking stupid and ridiculous. Why do we capitalize days of the week, months of the year? They're not that fucking special, right? <laughs> my God does not need to be praised or, or you know, worshipped. That's my own shit. I'm not trying to knock anybody who's does. Mine doesn't, right? I, I like the idea of my God being lowercase g. My personal own freight name, yes, lowercase j, please. I, I don't need all this. Like, it just doesn't – I hate the capitalization system. And so I I don't – I really try not to capitalize when I say God. Now, I will caveat, my phone autocorrects to a capital G frequently, and sometimes I bother to go back and fix it, and sometimes I'm just in too much of a hurry that I don't give a fuck. But I would much rather it be lowercase g. So maybe that's more my argument is if we lowercase g God and lowercase higher power so that it wasn't this mm. formal thing, that it wasn't feeling like it was some like need to be identified, you know, because that's how I interpret like uh, capitalizing things means it, it's a certain one. Yes, it's a it's a well, it's a, it's a particular it's more of a concrete or specific mm. type of thing. You gotcha. know, and so maybe this is me being anal and argumentative because i like to be argumentative fuck yeah that's but i'll go on it so that sayings in the the in that same paragraph you just uh read it says the main objective of step seven is to get out of ourselves and try to achieve the will of our higher power and uh again higher power capitalized Mm -hmm. and so i again take just i can almost put spiritual principles or spiritual living in place of any of this higher power thing and say you know the will here is for get out of my own way and try to live like the will of spiritual living or the will of spiritual principles in my life. Trying to be a spiritual person when I don't want to be. You know? Read that sentence again for me. So it says, the main objective of step seven is to get out of ourselves and strive to achieve the will of our higher power. And so I, I, what's really interesting to me is that for a program that says, hey, you don't have to have a religion. You can have no religion. You don't need a fucking God if you don't want to. This program will work for you. It's so interesting that we have sentences like this that say that instead of putting in place of it what you just said. Yeah. Like, why do we need to say aligning with our higher power's will? Why can't we just say, you know, whatever other thing we could say that isn't so descriptive or limiting? Yeah. I don't understand why we do that. I don't either. So <laughs> I want to be the voice of those people. There you go. <laughs> uh, another quote, one danger is being too hard on ourselves. Uh, and I think we already kind of mentioned this, the self-compassion and how crucial that is. We've spent a lot of our life with us and those around us being too hard on ourselves, right? We're not going to get better that way. Um, one more I thought you would like, God often works through those who care enough about recovery to help make us aware of our shortcomings. That's a really different take, right? Because normally... 
I'm pissed at people who point out my shortcomings. <laughs> and so if I could stop when, when they do that and just think to myself, damn, this is God working through people who give enough of a fuck to go through the uncomfortable, you know, uh, way of life to show to point this out. Like, because it's not comfortable to tell people mm. about themselves. That fucking sucks. And so, really, I need to look at that as like, damn, maybe they actually care enough about me that they want to help me. They're willing to walk through that awkwardness. Yeah, and so, interestingly enough, my wife and I had it, again, we were talking about some of this this morning, and she was, so we were talking about humility and, and what that means, and she was kind of describing to me her way of saying, like, we are all equal in all of our assets and all of our liabilities. So I might think that I'm smarter than someone else, but really we're all like equally smart. And of course I balked at that and we started <laughs> kind of going back and forth about some of that. If you were but, as smart as me, you'd know that's not true. <laughs> yeah, right. Um, but it, it opened up a different sort of, uh, line of thinking in my head about that kind of stuff. Like it's so easy for me to put these judgments on where mm. I think different people fit with, you know, even their assets and their liabilities, right. you know, and to be like, no, we're all equally. And, and her description, I, I get what she was going for. Like she said, all right, so maybe I'm intellectually smart. Maybe I've read a couple of more books or, you know, work the steps a little more, but this person may, you know, deeply or intricately know about, you know, 1950s gospel music or some other, you know, Ooh, my favorite weird random, right. you know, thing that they just know an abundance of information or a deep understanding or knowledge mm. of that is like, well, I don't think that's relevant, so that doesn't count, you know. And it's easy uh, for me to be like dismissive of what is important now because it doesn't fit my narrative and that you know, really, if we look at all these assets and liabilities, like, we're all equal in them. It's just a matter of, you know, which ones were sort of uh, almost the awareness thing, like what we're almost being aware of. And so in that, you know, she can have conversations, maybe with people that she doesn't like or people that are critical of her and, and try to listen to what their point is um, instead of being dismissive and being like, well, they're just stupid, you know, mm. or they don't know anything about me, you know. Hugely important. And and I, you know, the other part of that God works through people around us that I thought was really relevant, besides the fact of like being more tempered to the criticism that people give us, is the fact that it's hugely crucial to my spiritual work to surround myself with people who I trust and who are also living in a life of recovery. Um, one, if I don't trust the people in my network along with my sponsor or my close group of friends, if I'm not in a recovery network, right? If I don't trust those people when they have criticism for me or when they tell me about myself, I'm not going to hear it. I'm just going to dismiss it. Like I'm, you know, eh, fuck him. He, he's just a jerk anyway. Right? So I need to trust them. I also need to interact with them regularly so that they have a, a clear picture of me. Um, and they've got to be living a life of recovery, right? There's a, this is a psychological concept that we are the average of our five closest friends, right? If I hang out with people who, you know, uh, deal in the black market and, and, you know, visit massage parlors, not that there's anything wrong with that, but that might not be conducive for the way of life I'm trying to live. And they might not be able to call me out on the defects that are going on in my life. They might 
my stuff might seem minimal to their, you know, exploits or, or, or whatever you want to call them, sins or, or defects. My stuff might be like, oh, I just stole a fucking candy bar. Like, at least I'm not doing that crazy yeah. shit. So I need to have other people who have what I want. So when they say something to me, I can say, oh, well, I want what they have. Obviously, they're not living that way. Maybe I should take that into consideration. Yeah, well, and I actually look at a lot of the, or, or I guess I should say a bigger struggle for me is looking at criticism that comes from people that don't like me or that don't care about me mm. because those are the people that I'll dismiss the easiest and those might be the most honest criticisms mm. that I don't want to hear. Interesting. And so, again, just like this morning you had mentioned, I guess Amanda has a criticism about something I said. Immediately my defense mechanism goes up to like 11. You know what I mean? <laughs> right. and like I want to – you know, start defending what I have to say, defending my point of view because I don't really know her and I don't, you know, whereas if it was criticism from you or my wife or one of my other friends, I tend to not dismiss that as quickly. Mm. Um, and both are equally as important, you know what I mean? And I think I became aware of that, like, debating with people through Facebook. Like, you start to see, like, people start criticizing you, and it's like, well, fuck you. I don't care about your opinion of me. And then it's like, well, wait a minute, you know. Maybe that is how I come off, and maybe that is important that I look at that. Because if my goal is to try to, you know, sort of get people to be more open-minded, to get more think more deeply about things and all I start doing is becoming like this dismissive sarcastic asshole then that's not achieving my goal and all it does gets me angry and it gets them angry and that really doesn't achieve anything so what's the point that's a really interesting point you you make there I mean people (laughs) do they could possibly have the ability to say more honestly what is true about us <laughs> like right. if they're not that close. So that's that's relevant. I think uh, we do need to listen to it all. I just – I know I need – so generally when that has happened to me, I take what uh, those jerks that I don't know have said <laughs> and I bring it back to my trusted people. Yes. And I say, hey, I've heard this. Do you see this too? And that's usually where I can open the door for their honest input, yeah. right? And so I just, crucial, I can't do this alone right. is what I want to get at. And I, I see people out there who maybe don't have a circle of friends in recovery or maybe don't have a tight-knit network. Or maybe they do have a tight-knit network and it's just not really people worth a whole lot of admiration, honestly. Yeah. And, I, and I'm not saying they're bad people. They're just not really working this right now. And so maybe you want to find a couple of people that are, right, to, to be around and, and get more familiar with yourself. All right. Um, uh, this is another quote. To work the seventh step, we must get out of the way so that God can do God's work. I thought that. I was like, Billy will question the fuck out of this statement. Yeah. Like, what does that even mean? Yeah, that's a, I mean, that's immediately. I was like, what does that mean? We must get out of the way so that God can do God's work. I, I don't know. I, I, to me, that just speaks to the whole... I can't remove defects and I'm waiting on some higher power to do that. Not that I'm waiting doing nothing, but it's not up to me when it happens. Hmm. Do you, so how do you, how do you explain that? That it just takes an amount of time? Like when they say, cause that's a lot of the seventh step that I've heard is that it's not, it's up to the higher power when it gets removed. It's not up to me. Right. So how do you, rectify that or 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 how does that understanding fit into your belief system of not really believing in that power specifically that you 
like you could do the work, but maybe the defect doesn't get removed. Or do um, you think you have control over when it gets removed? So I think that gets into a more I would I don't know what you would call it like neurosciency way of looking at things okay. of like when do you think an idea actually changes in your head? You know, let's take mm. a concept that you don't understand about fucking traffic accidents or, or whatever, you know, two right. cars hit at a speed. You know, I don't understand that science, but if someone explains it out to me and then all of a sudden I go, oh, I know what that means now. And now every time I see a traffic accident, I can, you know, sort of work through these concepts. I don't know when that idea happens but when that idea changes or or forms in my head is that a miracle or is that a result of work Hmm. i guess so for me i guess it would be you know i need the consistent uh influence input of like you talked about like a network of positive people a network of people that are trying to live spiritually a network of people that are really trying to look honestly at some of these concepts that we talk about through the steps love faith humility surrender acceptance you know hope all these things kindness caring love like i need people that are really looking deeply at these principles and applying them in their life and then as i also try to apply them in my life you know, something in that process changes, you hmm. know, and I don't know when that moment happens. Um, if we want to attribute that moment of change within our brain to being God, I mean, I got no problem with that. It's good enough. You know, right. for me, I think it's more of a neuroscience kind of thing, but you know, the concept's still hmm. the same. If I go about my day trying to be kind and I say, you know, I'm going to actively try to just look store clerks in the eye and say thank you very much and have a little bit of intention behind that in the beginning that might be like a fake thing almost it might be like a a forced thing but if i do that over and over and over again eventually that just becomes a thing that i do and hopefully the meaning goes with it um i believe that's part of meditation is similar like i'm trying to almost you know correct my way of thinking i know correct's not the right way of saying that but i'm trying to change my awareness on a way of thinking. Mm. And so if I do that through a simple act like looking a store clerk in the eye and trying to be a little bit more compassionate and saying, thank you very much, I appreciate you know your service or whatever, like I think eventually that touches my spirit. You know what I mean? Like eventually that becomes you know not a thing that I'm forced to do and I almost do it unintentionally after 30 days or 60 days or whatever. Kind of like the science behind forming a new habit. Uh, it makes sense. I guess what I was thinking was if there was this process of it's just what we do and what we go through, that there would be a set amount of time to that. And, you know, after I'm done this, obviously I have fixed myself, so I have a control over when the defect gets removed. But even in the mental health field, there's not that, right? People come in at different ages, different levels of willingness, different levels of being done with whatever they're tired of being done with. We never know if it's going to take a month or three years to hit that point where they're ready to do something different, right? It's really very guessworky, up in the air. <laughs> it, it, so many other factors and inputs, right? And so uh, that, that well, makes and I just, sense. I, and I was just sitting here thinking, and I could look back. I mean, I might be able to find one or, or find something, but I think back to like character defects that i think that i had when i came in do like do i honestly feel like any of them are just gone and that they just don't exist in my life anymore like no no, not at all so have they really been removed i mean i I don't know true 
True, just to a level. Yeah. They're removed through my action, I think. But are you they know? removed in thinking? Is what right. I mean, my concept, when the guy gives me too much change in the stores, they still keep that shit all the time, you know? Right. Yeah, Will that, that ever go away? I don't know. <laughs> I don't do it, you know, or... I wanted to take the goddamn piece that I got from Plumber back to the, for thirteen dollars. I wanted to sell myself out and get a How refund. How do I want to manipulate and control yeah. and get what I want? And you know, thank I God know. I didn't. But you know, if it was like a thousand dollar part, I might sell myself out, but not for thirteen bucks. Mm-hmm. Just too cheap. So I think all these reliefs of these defects are temporary, just you know, for today, or, or yeah, as long as I continue to do the work necessary to keep it at bay, right? You know, and as soon as I stop doing the work, they slowly, you know, push their way back up to the top, <laughs> right? Because it it feels good to feel good. It's all about that instant gratification. Uh, another one, just to move us along here. We tried so hard to get it right. We were tired of our shortcomings. We were worn out from trying to manage and control them, and we wanted some relief. Oddly enough, this is precisely the attitude we hope to demonstrate in Step 7, the attitude of humility. We admit defeat, recognize our limitations, and ask for help from the God of our understanding. Uh, Not a whole lot to say about that, or or maybe not even any of these. I just thought they were really kind of nicely put. Like, we we do beat our heads against the wall trying to control these defects, right? And we come to a point of, it's that surrender, I think. It's that letting go. It's, It's almost like... Being so aware of the defect, I just get so tired of seeing it and seeing me act on it and seeing me hurt the people in my life and myself and feel bad that I finally get to a point where I'm like, there's got to be something else. There's got to be a pause moment. There's got to be a, even if I feel this fucking angry internally, I'm just not going to say anything. I will tape my goddamn mouth shut before I will yell at my kid again. I just can't do it. And and part of that is... You know, our, I mean, I think where that comes from, and this, I'm trying to think of how to explain this to people that aren't addicts. It's like, I get so worried that I'm not going to get what I want, that it's not going to turn out the way I want it to, that things are going to be different than I think they should be, that I will, you know, claw, fight, and scratch, you know, tooth and nail to hang on. Like, this is how I need this to turn out. So this is what I have to do to get it to turn out the way that I need it to turn out. And I have no faith, you know, outside of myself and my limited view that anything else is going to be good or better. It's like this is the only way this can and should go. And if it goes any fucking differently, it's going to be a disaster. I think one of the, maybe the most universal ways to – and I, it's a tough one because it's really uh, strikes home with some people. But food, food and health. An exercise, right? The, that whole tie-in. I think a lot of people, not in a program like ours, or both in a program and not in a program, can relate to that idea, right? We come to a point where we're just sick and tired of ourselves not being able to fix our fucking eating habits, right? Hmm. I'm sick and tired of goddamn not spending the time to make dinner. I'm just getting that fast food because it's so much easier and convenient. I'm sick and tired, and so when New Year's Day rolls around, I got the resolution that I'm going to join a gym, and I do it for two fucking months, and then I quit every year. I'm sick and tired. Like, that's a place where people get sick and tired of themselves and try to make that change regularly. They hit that point of surrender. They're so tired of that behavior or the outcomes Mm -hmm. of that behavior that they finally are willing to do something different. Unfortunately, they see what we see. If you don't continue to stay in that sick and tired place... (laughs) It creeps right. back in, right? Place of humility. Yeah. It's tough. 
Super tough. Um, our illusions of uniqueness have been overcome in the process. We know that we are neither more, we are neither more nor less important than anyone else. Understanding that we are not unique is a good indication of humility. This is a fucking thing I still struggle with at times. Yeah, I was going to say the same thing. I love being unique. Like yeah. I, uh, I remember when my buddy told me forever ago, you're one of a kind, Jason, and I was all proud. And he's like, nope, there's a kind like you, and you're fucking one of them. Like, <laughs> I'm like, fuck you, man. Like, that just hurts. But we're we're not as unique as we think we are, right? I don't think it's... I don't think it's that I'm not a little different from everybody. I am my own unique person, right? But I have so... Infant... There's such a tiny piece of me that's different from so many different people, right? There's people that are very much like me. Kind of like when we started this podcast, I thought you and I were almost exactly alike. I was yeah. like, oh my God, we think so much alike <laughs> on everything. And we don't, obviously. <laughs> like, we disagree every week. But I, just so interesting to find that there is so much in common with so many other people. And I think, I mean, I, I struggle with the u- use of the word unique there more mm-hmm. so than I felt way happier to hear the word importance so i am not more important my ideas aren't more valuable my thinking isn't more special than anyone else's but i can be unique i mean i don't think that being unique in and of itself is a bad thing i mean i I joke all the time and i say i've been to i don't know how many thousands of meetings and i've never heard my story i've heard people say oh i've you know you told my story and i've had people say that to me but I've never felt like I have heard my story, you know, because I feel like that's unique to me. I'm going to pay an actor. I'm going to write down your story <laughs> and have them share it in a meeting just so we can accomplish this for you. But I don't think that makes me special, you know what I mean? Like, I don't think that makes me different. Uh, difference loose there. But, right. yeah, I don't think that makes me, you know. Well, and I think you're, you're hitting the nail on the head with the word special is where – all my uniqueness led me to think that I was more special than others, right? And, and I think that's where we attack it from. It's we need to understand that we are different, but it's not a difference that makes us better than others, right? right. It's just a difference that makes us us, but it's not really like that. The difference over there in, in Joe is also great. Yeah. There's nothing better. About it's the it. unique way in which we live out common principles. Yeah. There you go. <laughs> Uh, another one, patience is an essential ingredient of working this step. We may have difficulty with the notion of patience because our addiction accustomed us to instant gratification. And I just thought that was so so true for me, man. I struggle with patience at times. And this entire step is, six was me realizing I have all these defects and wanting to fix them right the fuck now. Because that's my whole life. I want to do it now. Really, I want to do it yesterday. God damn it. Why isn't it already done? And so to realize that a lot of seven is the patience of, hey, I ain't fixing, you know, 30, 40, whatever many years of doing this one way overnight. Like this ain't going to magically pop in the right way tomorrow. Uh, It's going to take time. Like you said, the the neuroscience aspect of this, like it takes time to form new patterns of behavior, new habits to replace old ones. Yeah, and then again, if I don't consistently keep doing that work, them old ones seem to come back. Yeah, you know, well, it's or, You know, all of a sudden a, a defect has kind of been at bay for a while, so I might, you know, slack up on the work on it because I'm, I'm not aware of it, and then all of a sudden, you know, it comes back. It does come back. And then maybe in service. a different way. Maybe it's manifesting in a new area of my life or something I didn't have before. You know, I really, I, I like, I'm knocking on some wood here, uh, 
gambling is a way that really has just not ever hit home with me, and I, I'm not completely sure why, possibly because of how cheap I am or whatever <laughs> it is. Like, I just don't want to spend the money. I don't enjoy it. But I'm always so nervous that because of that, like, what, what the idea that, like, you know, if I say something enough, it'll, you know, I'll jinx myself, basically. Yeah. I'm always worried that when I say that, I'm like, oh, fuck, that one's down the pike somewhere. I'm going <laughs> to be <coming>. gambling <laughs> on everything. Fuck, I don't want it. Yeah. Um. Another one, in working this step, we move away from intellectualizing the recovery process. Our concern is not to determine exactly how or when our shortcomings will be removed. It's not our job to analyze this step. This step is a spiritual choice, a choice that goes beyond any emotional reaction or conscious act of will. Um, As a guy who intellectualizes every fucking thing in my life first, because I don't want to feel it, this hits home to me in that it's not my job to sit here and like keep tally. I think it talks about that in our step guide. Like it's not my job to keep tally of how good a job God's doing of removing my defects of character. Right. Like, Oh, you're not being quick enough there. God, you fucker. Right. Like it's not for me to do that. It's just to try. That's the goal of this step. Just try. Yeah. And I think there's a point to, and maybe this is overanalyzing it, but it's like (laughs) in, you know, maybe say loving my kid instead of less being, you know, as critical of my my kid Mm. in an area, you know, like if I'm just looking at results, well, criticizing them might get the outcome that I want, but the principle of love might create a better person, you know, a person that feels better about themselves, that has a better outlook on life, that is, you know, quote unquote healthier than the person that just does what I want them to do. So if I'm just looking at things and measuring outcomes and measuring, you know, these un these you know tangible things, it's hard to kind of see the intangibles of spiritual living. You you make a great point, right? Uh, science knows that it's very easy to change a behavior now by smacking the shit out of your kid, right? That works. It's <laughs> right. highly effective, <laughs> right. right? Harsh punishments highly effective in changing what they do right this second. Also creates pretty terrible human beings down the line. <laughs> right. We right. can't see the terrible human beings down the line. So we right. think this way works now. I can see the evidence right in front of me. We can't see the evidence that it's not really so beneficial long term. Um, and so I, I think that's a really relevant point. Let's just work on sometimes the opposite of and, the defect. And that for me is kind of over the years where my faith in you know higher power or in in spiritual living comes in it's like i just have to trust Mm. or i choose to trust i don't have to do anything i choose Mm. to trust that that spiritual living is going to give me a better outcome than whatever i might see in the here and now nice and so for uh, the last one i have written down here we've seen our character defects our faulty belief systems and our unhealthy patterns of behavior We've seen that we need to change, but may not be aware that we've been changing since we first came to NA for help. We walked into our first meeting with a spiritual void. Some essential ray of spiritual light had been cut off. We had lost the ability to love, laugh, and to feel. For so long, people had looked into our eyes and had trouble seeing the human being behind the blank gaze. From our very first meeting, we sensed the love and acceptance of other NA members. We began to come back to life. What we are experiencing is an awakening of the spirit, no less dramatic than it sounds. This awakening has been evident to those around us for quite some time, but the change is now so obvious that we can see it as well. And I just thought that was a really Mm. poetic statement. Um, 
It makes me feel a little sad for people who, a lot of people, uh, and I don't know if people who aren't in NA know this or not, a lot of us don't make it to step seven. Like, it seems to be a thing. Some people never work steps. Some people work one through three, and then four is just uh, too much of a mountain to climb. Um, A great deal. I know. So if you've ever been a speaker seeker for a meeting that has to get speakers on the steps, you get to seven. It's like, oh, fuck, I'm limited. Like, who the fuck can share this? Uh, And so it's just sad that a lot of people miss out on this process, man. It's, It's incredible. Uh, and it's been incredible every time I've gone through it, right? Like the first time through was pretty mind blowing, but I I even thought the second time through, well, this won't be as mind blowing because I already did it once and I know. And and the fact is it's still, there's so much left to work on always that layers of the onion theory is is so true for me at least. Yeah. And I think that's what it talks about, you know, in that step is like, we're never going to be perfect. There's always going to be, you know, work to do on ourselves i mean uh, my goal isn't perfection you know my goal is to be the best version of myself as i can be here now right i think one of the things that i i struggled with in step 11 just to bring up right before we end here um god had removed the obsession and compulsion for me to do drugs right which was the most amazing fucking thing that could have ever happened for my life when i got here and, and i started this process and i was blown away by it and i just thought it was such an impossible thing to do and for me, my higher power removed that, and I was free to live without that. And it was like, holy fuck. No more amazing miracle could have happened in my life. And yet, when I got to six and seven and thought, can God remove these defects? I questioned it, right? Like, he's already done and removed the biggest defect possible. Hmm. And yet, here I am. I'm like, well, I don't know. These are personality traits. Can <laughs> yeah. he really handle this? Right. Like, I really doubted the ability of you know, my higher power for some reason, even though I knew he had done this incredible thing. I don't know Mm. if you had that kind of experience, but. No, I mean, I would say no. I trusted wholly in the process Mm. of recovery. You know what I mean? Like I've never looked at like this outside. And maybe part of this is, again, ego stuff, I think. You know, maybe it's almost like the one quote you said, it's like, I think I overanalyze shit and intellectualize it and be like, if I just keep, I guess the faith came is I just keep doing this work, shit's going to get better. And it was pretty much had to be that simple. You know? mm, I got gotcha. you. I got gotcha. So the other thing that came up, and I think it does talk about this in our step working guide, um, but I didn't look through that to double check. But it, I, the idea that I got nervous that God might over remove my defects, if that makes any sense. Like, so we talk about it. We don't really want them removed. We want them brought back down to their right proportion in life, right? Like, basically, we say pain's a bad thing. But honestly, if you don't feel pain, you're going to die pretty soon in your life because you don't know how to avoid things that are hurting your body, right? This has happened before. Like, to a human, they couldn't feel pain, literally. They had no pain receptors. And they just, like, died early because they couldn't feel it when they grabbed a hot thing on the stove. So they just continued to hurt themselves. Um, So we don't, like, it's good to have a healthy level of jealousy. Like, really, it's not healthy to completely have jealousy gone. And for me, it was an area like lust, right, where I had lust for all these women outside of my relationship, I was terrified that God would remove lust and I would no longer be lustful towards my partner. And then they would need to seek 
you know, things outside of the relationship because I wouldn't want to meet their needs anymore because I just didn't care about sex anymore. It just completely got removed as if that was even possible. This is my fear, right? (laughs) A guy who thinks about it too much and I'm scared it won't be there at all. (laughs) But I I just, it's incredible that we can have that worry, like that Mm. concern. Uh, And to, to the point where, I'm not so unique. It's mentioned in our guide because obviously some other people had it. I just, that blew my mind. Yeah. I don't know. Maybe I secretly think so little of myself. I never thought I could be too good. (laughs) I don't think that's ever been a thing. My criticism of myself is that, like, you'll never be too good. That's hilarious. (laughs) Uh, Any other thoughts on step seven? I, I think it's, I think we've done it justice. Yeah. I hope I can remember any of this shit to share during these meetings this week. Um, so obviously next month we'll be on eight. We'll talk about making our list. Uh, that's going to be an interesting conversation for sure. Um, uh, next week we'll, we'll talk about either sponsorship or we're going to have somebody on to talk about another program, which yeah. I really, I really enjoy the conversations with people about their programs. Um, so hopefully I can find somebody for that. If not, we'll be doing that in two weeks. I really hope. Uh, and sponsorship. I'm excited to do that too, honestly. So either way, I'm, I'm pretty pumped for next week, however yeah. it plays out. And if there's anybody out there interested in talking about other programs, and they don't even have to be specifically, you know, addiction can be Al-Anon or, you know, adult children of alcoholics or OA or gambling anon, whatever, you know, any of those other fellowships that aren't specifically about drugs, you know. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I think it's great to have more exposure for, right. for people, right? I think, you know... I ended up seeking out some other fellowships. It was hugely beneficial for me. But I just think just knowing that it's out there, like that other people struggle in ways that we also struggle. And maybe we can find some help there or maybe it's right for us. And there's a fear of going to check that kind of stuff out, right? Like, oh, my God, I'm going to walk into a sex addict meeting. That's that's all the perverts are, right? (laughs) But maybe if you hear more about it, it might identify with you and you might be able to get some help for it. So. Yeah, absolutely. If you feel like you can represent uh, and and know a lot about a fellowship, please feel free to contact us, reach out. Also, if you have any thoughts about the seventh step, as usual, you know, go ahead, find us on Facebook or wherever else we are, Instagram, Twitter, look us up, email us, do whatever the hell you want, um, and stay safe out there, and we'll see you next week. Yeah, have a good week. That wraps up this episode. Please subscribe, rate, and review this podcast on your preferred platform. If you have ideas for topics you'd like us to talk about or just want to add an opinion, contact us through Anchor, email us at recoverysortof at gmail.com or find us on Twitter at recoverysortof.